0: And I am Dominique deprima and yes, I am in for Ariva Martin. She will be back with you next time. But look, I'm um, talking about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, programs, which we saw um, become, the first time I really hot noted this uh, being under attack was in Florida when um, uh, failed presidential candidate uh, Ron DeSantis um, started Attacking these programs and specifically outlaw, uh, outlawing them in in public universities there. Um, and I'm so pleased to be joined this morning by Dr. Uh, this evening by Dr. Deborah Ashen, who's a licensed psychologist and and has headed up DEI uh, programs for many uh, major corporations. Fatima Gilliam is founder of the CEO of the Azara Group and has a book coming out next week called Race Rules what your black friend won't tell you. So um, let's talk about some of the kinds of things that have, you know, comprised these programs. I'll start with you, Dr. Deborah. What are some of the kinds of things you've presided over um, in, you know, in the corporate space that qualify as DEI programs?
1: In the corporate space, some of the things I have, if you will, led, And spearheaded has been pay equity, starting as early as the uh, early 1990s uh, at a national laboratory, then at Fortune 500 companies, where specifically we were looking at individual claiming that, you know, minority women, especially black women, you had to pay a premium for them. And so they were claiming that we were making more than everybody else, given our skill sets. Well, you know, I looked at the data and I said, oh, amazingly, no, Black women and Latino women were making less than everybody else when education was held constant. And that, so what we set up were pay audits, equity audits, in order to move them forward. I'm proud to say that Medtronic actually today, because of a process I set up in the mid-1990s, has pay equity in their organization. Other things uh, that would take.
0: Tarashi P. Henson needs you. <laughs> <laughs> right now. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were going to give some other examples.
1: No. And some of the other pieces was uh, folks were amazed that they said there was a revolving door, especially with people of color in corporate America, and they didn't know why. And I said, well, if you have individuals who you claim are high potential, what are you doing for to let them know that they're high potential? In one organization, I actually interviewed uh, 12% of all the Black people who were in the organization. And the 12% that I interviewed were the folks that they claimed were the cream of the cream. And amazingly, I came back to tell them, and if they're not happy, imagine how the rest of the folks feel. And so it was important for them to understand specifically what were some of the issues. And some of the issues we all know is that they weren't getting being credit for their work. They felt they were under a microscope and individuals were disrespecting them. And so we discussed that and set up a process to deal with it. But there have been many things, including one is making sure that when they say someone will be ready for a promotion in two years, that two years hence, you don't say they'll be ready for a promotion in two years. So we set it up where both the individual and their supervisor had to be responsible for their development. And I don't want to hog all the time. So I will, uh, if you will, relinquish it at this time as they do in the great Congress of these United States.
0: Yeah, uh, because Fatima, I want to ask you the same question. Like when you're talking about programs you've participated in, observed in the DEI space, give me some examples of what they might look like.
2: Well, you know, sometimes it could be for the consulting work that I do, it, it varies depending on the client, right? So sometimes it's helping them think through what is their diversity strategy for hiring, retaining, promoting talent. That means looking at where they have bottlenecks and, and structural and systemic problems within their organization and how they can try to strategically overcome them so that they can be more attractive to diverse candidates and they can get through the pipeline. Sometimes uh, an initiative could be looking at some of the challenges they may have for mentorship and for people to rise through the ranks. Um, I've also gone in with organizations where they've had, you know, challenges, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, clean up on aisle five and they may have had an incident and maybe they have issues with uh, a lack of trust within an organization. And I've gone in and helped them with that. Um, I've done a broad range of things around trying to help organizations create inclusive workplaces, right? Because they may be able to, maybe they can bring in uh, a diverse hire, meaning like a person of color or a woman or someone from the LGBTQ community, but can they keep them? And so what is uh, problematic in their culture, their organization, their leadership, their management style, so that they will be able to retain and keep someone within an organization. But also to your question about what are some initiatives, you know, it could be partnering with outside organizations that can help serve as a pipeline. It could be uh, partnering with an organization that can provide leadership, career advancement, development, mentorship, so that someone is not just creating the network, but also the the skills to be able to uh, get promoted. It could be, um, you know, uh, which is something that somebody like Ed Blum would want to come for, who's behind a lot of the litigation. But, you know, um, scholarship opportunities, uh, fellowship opportunities, that can be a pipeline process to be able to hire people of color within an organization.
0: Right. So you're referencing um, the the, uh, litigation against DEI, which... Um, you know, it, it's it's by the same person who basically um, brought the end of affirmative action all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and I mean, he's on a mission. Yeah, he's on a mission. Right. So and, and so we're not just talking about, you know, one governor of one uh, one Florida man, per se, but uh, what seems to be a playbook right now um, within uh, these arch conservative um wealthy folks uh, Republicans um what are the things that uh, that you've'll we'll start with you Fatima, and then we'll go back to 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 uh, to Deborah um the, the things that you found more alarming than usual you know there's always this anti-affirmative action piece. I was really surprised that they would fix their mouths to say we don't even want to include you <laughs> you know it's like, We're we're not gonna. It's not only that we don't want to give you a leg up through affirmative action. We don't want you to be at the table at all. Um, What were the specific things that that alarmed you and made you say, you know, we better put a group together. We better put our own um, program together to to try to
2: salvage DEI. Well, one thing that I think is really important for people to understand is that this is a part of a broader package of attacks, right? So you have and and there's an assault coming from many different angles they're coming for universities right so who can be at the school but then when you're there what can you actually learn and study when you're in that school they're coming for corporations right so the pipeline there they're in implementing legislation around not being able to teach certain kinds of things um and so it is a broad scale colossal attack and they've been playing the long game so ed blum being one of the people behind it what i would say is Um, what is sort of alarming to a certain extent for some organization is how quickly they're so happy to roll back the progress that they've made within their organizations, right? You had George Floyd who was murdered, lots of organizations coming through and saying, oh, we're going to commit to DEI, we're going to invest in communities, we're going to be doing all of these activities, and, and and support diversity, equity, and inclusion. And now there's a significant rollback. Not everywhere, right? But you have plenty of organizations, plenty of companies, even within the government that are rolling back the progress. And I think what is important to keep in mind, people should not be asleep at this moment. They need to pay attention to what's going on in their companies, where they work, in their community, at their school, um, to combat these things and, and to pay attention to what the politicians are trying to do as well.
0: Just got a couple of minutes here before news, traffic, and sports. Of course, we'll continue on the other side. Dr. Deborah Ashton, what are the things that are alarming you in this? What is really an anti-DEI movement at this point?
1: I think one of the things that really alarms me is the fact that they have this false narrative. When you look at the actual data, for instance, is that there has not, I hate to say, been as much progress as folks would like to believe. When you look at the actual data, for instance, women of color, we're talking Asian women, we're talking Black women, we're talking Latinas. We start off as 17% of the workforce in corporate America. We make only 4% of the executives in corporate America. We are not making the progress. They pretend that we are pushing people out, when in fact, we have not pushed individuals out. The other thing that amazes me is that individuals feel that they can say that people of color and that women and LGBTQ, et cetera, are taking and displacing them. When you look at the data, there has not been a displacement. And so I want us to start looking at numbers and facts and not simply allowing people to spew false narratives.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really feels like part of this whole white supremacist, you will not replace me uh, doctrine, which is uh, emotionally based and, and not uh, data driven. Um, when we come forward after news traffic and sports, we're going to look at what is being done um, by these powerful women uh, to educate and save DEI programs and uh, and uh, what is what needs to be done to stop a, a multiple pronged attack. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. And I'm Dominique DiPrima in for Ariva Martin. We're talking DEI, the quest to save it um, by a powerful group of black women affiliated with Harvard University. Uh, Dr. Deborah Ashton joins me. Fatima Gilliam is with me. And I, I assume this, you know, this nexus uh, around Harvard has to do with the fact that uh, the resignation of Harvard president, black woman, Claudine Gay, which supposedly was about a- anti-Semitism, has really stirred the pot uh, around, for some reason, DEI and um, affirmative action and all of these similar topics um, you know that um, sort of feed into this controversy, and how, in my view, not having any inside, uh, inside track, but just as a, a news um, reporter and, and news uh, junkie, it seems that the targeting of black women, this takedown of President Gay seems like a template that, um, they are, that the conservatives on the right are gearing up to put into play uh, over and over again. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to that, but talk to me about um how this, you know, how this impacted Harvard University and why why you guys decided you needed to come together and um take some action and, and do some think tanking uh around DEI. Um I, I don't know who wants to take that. Fatima, you wanna
2: you wanna start? Sure. You know, I'm obviously a We're talking about Harvard. I'm a Harvard alum. I went to the Kennedy School of Government. um, And I care very much about not just what's happening at Harvard or some of my other alma maters. I went to Columbia Law School and Wellesley College as well that are also having attacks on their campus with regard to uh, DEI. And what happened with Claudine Gay at at Harvard University uh, is a symptom or not a symptom. It's a symbol of what's happening everywhere else. Right. And the broader concern with black alums at Harvard and alums at other places is this is not just in the bubble of Harvard. This is spreading everywhere else. And what is also happening is they were using the excuse um, fault. I mean, I don't think they're was much credibility of of the claims about anti-Semitism as the reason to get rid of her. And as soon as she was gone, then it immediately transitioned to DEI, to diversity, because that is what they were really after. And they're also using the language of diversity, the language of civil rights, the language of trying to have an equitable American society against people who are for policies, programs, laws, and initiatives to protect and create more opportunity and equitable opportunity for people of color in this country. So that is why as Harvard alums, we care. This is why we care as black women in America is because we know that they're not just coming for Claudine Gay. They're coming for your local school. They're coming for the minority owned business program in your town. They're coming for um, uh, board uh board seats anywhere that they can try to um maintain what i think is more so a white supremacist construct that's what they're going for using the false flag or this trojan horse of claiming that it's discrimination against them when really what's under the undercurrent here is a sense of entitlement that is really just supposed to be exclusive opportunity for white men in america
0: Dr. Jebber Ashton i mean the, the data show that DEI programs in the corporate space and even affirmative action, or at least the, the end product of affirmative action, which is more diverse student bodies, actually benefit everyone. They benefit the corporate bottom line. They ensure more successful outcomes for white students who are in those uh, mixed populations. So what is the justification for getting rid of these programs, I mean, when I saw Elon Musk tweet, DEI must die, I thought to myself, well, if you're really uh, the, uh, you know, pseudo, the super capitalist that you claim to be, wouldn't you embrace these programs because they're good for the bottom line? I, what is the justification for getting rid of a thing that actually helps you
1: make more money? The justification is that there is none. It's simply, if you will, fear. And the fear is individuals who really do believe it's a zero sum game. And those who believe it's a zero sum game uh, are always afraid that you're going to take what they have. And it's understanding the fact that, for instance, as you already mentioned, Dominique, is that research has shown that when you have an organization that's at the top quartile of diversity, whether it's gender or race and ethnicity, for each one of them independently, they are 39% more likely to outperform than the individual organizations that are in the lower quartile. It's not about money. It's about individuals thinking some way or another, this is going to take away from me. It's about understanding that When they use the false narrative that the schools are now indoctrinating their students, the false narrative that colleges are the hotbed of anti Semitism. When a poll of college students was taken, only 12% of college students even supported the Palestinian, if you will, citizens and country. Understanding that, in fact, The false narrative that the U.S. is anti-Semitic and that there is rampant anti-Semitism is a false narrative because the world is only less than 1% Jewish. And yet, 45% are in Israel and 40% of individuals who are Jewish live in the United States. So obviously, the Jewish population feels that the United States and Israel are homes for them. It's not anti-Semitism. It's understanding that we are a Judeo-Christian country. Understanding, for instance, that Muslims are less than 1% of the United States, and they're over 25% of those who are affiliated with religions globally. Understanding false narratives and delusion, no thinking. Understanding that when Elon Musk Actually said that are you going to go and let DEI have a pilot in the cockpit and wait for a crash? And I on Lincoln uh combated that with the Tuskegee Airmen, that folks were begging ultimately that they were their escort because the Tuskegee Airmen never lost anyone. Understanding history, understanding that in fact, individuals who are at the top of their gang who are marginalized groups, are usually literally at the top of the game.
0: I mean, you but know, 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 so we, we, know we know hate crimes are on the rise. We know there is some anti-Semitism in this country. Correct. Tons of uh, anti-blackness, uh, more than any other, other hate crime is anti-blackness. And we know that there is, you know, Islamophobia too. But um, th- there is a lot of false narratives. And to me, it's just stunning that a guy, Elon Musk, who has actually promoted replacement theory and, and very well known anti Semitic uh, who uh, we propaganda. shouldn't be listening to. Right? Is, we shouldn't be getting supported by Bill, you know, Ackman. At the same time, he's trying he's getting rid of of Claudine Gay. It it's it 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 clearly isn't about what is being said on the surface. I'm sorry, go ahead, Fatima.
2: Yeah, we shouldn't be listening to Elon Musk, who, uh, you know, I use the nickname for him, Apartheid Clyde, anyway, because we're talking about somebody who, um, you know, there's a reason why his corporations keep getting sued for racial discrimination, inward incidents at his organization, because Frankly, he is racist and he's anti-Semitic. But, you know, getting to this broader undercurrent of like entitlement and what people are coming for and data, you know, you can have lots of data, right? Deborah mentioned lots of data. I have some clients that they won't even listen to the data because what is the undercurrent of what it is, is a sense of wanting to maintain a certain social and structure order, a caste system. Like you can say to them, you're going to have a higher return on investment hedge fund if you have a diverse uh, you have diverse hedge fund managers. They're, you know, statistically returning higher returns on investment. You could have the, you know, the the data showing you that. You could have the the market. Your clients could be a hedge fund, a pension fund, and saying we want diverse hedge fund managers, right? So you got the market telling you with the output. You have the client telling you that this is what they want, and the hedge fund will still not diversify. But in, Fatima, in, go
1: ahead. I'm sorry, I was going to say Fatima, but part of that deals with their fears. And when I say their fears, for instance, when I was in corporate, I had- Hold uh, that thought, hold
0: that thought. We'll continue uh, uh, when we come forward on KPLA. Okay, thank you. And you're back to Dominique DePrima right now, filling in for Ariva Martin in real time for a really um, great discussion on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, the attacks on them and what's being done about it. Dr. Deborah um, Ashton with me and Fatima Gilliam as well, um, part of a group of women who are doing this work. And uh, Dr. Ashton, you were talking about fears, the real reasons why um, people are making illogical decisions that go against the data and, and, and everything we know about how to increase your bottom line.
1: Absolutely. One of the things that uh, had a mentor of mine years ago, he was a black gentleman in Oakland area who was my boss. And he told me, he said, Deborah, he said, a lot of these individuals cannot hear the facts until you deal with their emotions. So you have to bring your EQ out before you bring out the IQ. I still remember in corporate America <laughs> in corporate America, uh I there was something that I referred to as the hourglass, which was that they were higher individuals who are women and people of color in at entry level and if you will buy them in at the executive level but you had an hourglass because they weren't moving up in the organization because they hadn't set up a process for there to be advancement and so when i came into one organization i was discussing what we needed to do to move people up in the organization especially getting them to mid management and one SVP said to me, and I still remember first time we met, so who am I supposed to fire for me to bring in minorities and women? And that's how he said it to me. Mm. And I said to him, you know, I would be upset too if I thought I had to displace some of my best people in order to bring other people in. I said, but what I would like us to do is think in terms of Do you believe we hire people at the entry level who are qualified? Oh, yes, this is a great organization. I said, Well, if it's a great organization, I said, Why aren't women and people of color moving up as much and at the same rate? I said, What I would like you to know is what we want to do is not displace anyone and everyone. What we want to do is look at our opportunities. Let's look at your attrition rate, and let's look at your growth rate. And given your attrition rate and your growth, what can we use in order to leverage these opportunities to make sure that everyone who we brought in who were qualified are moving up because they have a fair playing field? Get him on board because first you go and deal with their fears and address them directly.
0: Well, uh, that brings me to uh, Fatima's book, "Race Rules: What Your Black Friend Won't Tell You." Um, is there is there you know is there relevant information? Do these CEOs need to read this book? Um, does Does uh, Bill Ackman need to read this book? What, what What is the disconnect here?
2: Well, I think there are many things that Bill Ackman needs to read, but the first should be to stop reading his own tweets. Um, But uh, my book, Race Rules, is really trying to help people make better, more equitable decisions to drive better decision making. It's written to a predominantly white audience um, about the, the offensive, problematic behaviors that they engage in and then giving them a roadmap To make better decisions. It's written in a sort of choose-your-own-race-knowledge-adventure, and people can hop around to the topics that are important to them. But there is advice on what people can do to solve things within their organization, what they could do on the individual level, a community level, an organizational level, and then it also includes some aspects of policy and what people should be doing in their communities that can drive a more you know, a less racist society, frankly. I mean, I'm trying to solve some big issues in small ways, right? Because I don't have a magic wand that I can wave to solve everything. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people will say that, yes, we have racism, we have discrimination, we have white supremacy, and they don't know what to do about it, right? And there are a lot of great books that are written out there that talk about systemic racism, how it shows up, why it shows up. But people need to have some, you know, down and dirty advice onto what they can actually do. And in my book, I talk about what people can actually do to help tackle some of these problematic outcomes that we have in people's societies, in their families, at their workplace, in their communities. Um, and so I encourage people to, to get it. And it's helpful for people of color too, because I consider it a you know, please read this go away book. Leave me in peace. Stop asking me questions. This lady answered them all from the already.
0: It's not my job to educate you. Read uh, Fatima Gillian's book. Um, so as, as, as a group of, of women um, with, you know, a, affiliation uh, with Harvard who have taken on this issue, Dr. Ashton, what are the things, some of the things that you guys are doing and what are the things that we can support you in doing?
1: I think one of the things that you can do in supporting us is making sure that you let, and we're going to do it broadly with DEI, your schools that you went to, let them know that you support DEI. Let them know that you're cognizant of the fact that DEI is not discriminatory, that the DEI is truly inclusive, and it includes everyone, including white men and that we want everyone to feel that they have a place at the table, but we don't want anybody squeezed out from the table. And I think those are some of the things that can be done. The other piece is in your organization. Are folks, for instance, doing a cultural audit of the organization to see uh, are they truly inclusive? There are Multitudes of instruments that are available in order for you to do an inclusive culture profile. Understanding whether or not your management is truly inclusive. Are they engaging in inclusive behavior? There are also instruments where there are 360s that leaders can get in order for them to get feedback on whether they're seen as inclusive. Are they listening as readily to women as they are to men? Mm -hmm. Are they promoting people of color as readily as they are individual? And I'll say like themselves, because more, if you will, white males are in position of power in corporate America than any other group. Understanding these types of things are essential. So what Fatima mentioned earlier, whether you have mentoring programs, the mentoring program should be open to all, but at the same time, You may want to, if you have a corporation that has employee resource groups, have the employee resource groups nominate individuals whom they think are high potential. Corporation will find out that, in fact, there are people who are below the radar of HR and management who are quite capable, capable individual who can succeed and will be making the company money and will be making academia, if you will more scholarly.
0: Yeah, I feel yeah, like uh, gonna... we could start with the Oscars. How are you gonna nominate Barbie for best picture but the about director about and about. lead actress?
2: That's... What? Did you even see Barbie? Sorry, I'm it right. It was, terrible, it was a terrible film. I saw it, at many of the others. But if I could just add something to what Deborah was saying, yeah, what into your question, what can people do? I think the most important thing people can do is to get off their butts and actually do get involved. I think a lot of times people are waiting for someone else to take on these systemic intractable problems. And therefore we're going down this downward spiral of where you can have a Bill Ackman just, you know, run roughshod over people, right? And someone is always looking for someone else. If not you, then who? If not now, then when, right? So people need to pay attention to what's happening in the companies where they work, what's happening in their neighborhood, what's happening with elections. And that is how you can start being involved with this colossal attack on multiple fronts against dei affirmative action all of these rights that are being eroded people have to just stop waiting for someone else to fix all of these things and then they have, need to proactively be involved and there needs to be more of a coordinated approach there's a lot of reactionary things for the groups and people who are actually doing something but it needs to be coming up with a playbook a game plan to combat these things. But again, step one is for people to personally get involved in right. what's happening. Yeah,
0: and sorry, we have to leave it there, but thank you right. so very much, Dr. Deborah Ashton, Fatima Gilliam, your insights uh, and contributions are greatly
1: appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you for having
0: me. I usually leave with the quote, I'm going with my dad, Amiri Baraka. He says, a man is either free or he's not free. There can be no apprenticeship For freedom. I'm Dominique Duprimo. I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., where I am every single week.